0: I'm Greg McMillan, and this is 10 Strummers Tales. In each episode, I'll be talking to a guitarist who has in some way influenced or inspired me. I'll be asking them about the bands they've been in, gigs they've played, albums they've recorded on, and just have some general chat about all things guitar. Episode 2, Brian McPhee. Hello. 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 Hi. How you doing? Can you see me? No.
1: Can you hear you though? Uh, let's see. Um, start video. See me now. Yes.
0: <laughs> How's it going?
1: Ah, good. I'm, I'm sorry. I was thinking. I, I get involved in a drawing
0: and I, and I just time just disappears. Ah, uh, no worries at all. Nice to finally meet you. Brilliant. i uh, it's same here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've spoke so much online, but. It's finally good to to meet sort of face to face, if you like. I <laughs> thanks so much for, for giving me your time to come on tonight. Um uh, so much appreciated.
1: Well, Greg, it's a pleasure.
0: Smashing. And uh, I'll just jump in with I've just been listening to this, which obviously people listening can't see it, but um it's the it's a new new album by Lolan Slacks called Minmouth. So congratulations, because it's such a, a fine piece of work, and I know it's it's been really well received, and it's only been out what four or five months or something like that. Yeah, or... yeah,
1: yeah. It came out in uh, October. We we did the launch at the CCA in October. It seems like years ago now. <laughs> <laughs> so no, it's, it's it's doing well, and it gets it's a good sort of critical. Um, Claim well, not, I, mean, I wouldn't like to venture a claim, <laughs> I can't claim that, but um, no, all the kind of reviews have been really positive and it's it's, it's really nice. And I, I'm it's been such a labor of love, and obviously, during the pandemic, you know, yeah. it was like the easiest thing to be doing, but it was great, so we got it done finally.
0: So, what's the kind of story of Lola and Slacks then? How, how did the band all come about?
1: Well, it's it's actually it's all down to my girlfriend actually. Well, well, the strange thing is, I've known Lou for years and years, right? But she disappeared off the map completely. And basically, what happened was she went to France to study. And uh, occasionally, I would, you know, she would email me and I would email her and I would say, What are you doing musically? Uh, And she wasn't really doing anything because she was was studying. Um, Then I kind of lost touch with her for ages. And uh, (laughs) my girlfriend came in one night and she said, do you know Louise Reed? And I was like, and I had a cup, a mouthful of tea, and I kind of spat the tea across the room. I was like, how would my girlfriend know Lou? Well, it turns out she's she's her work partner. Ah, she's she a job in the civil service. So, um, and, and and Elaine had said to me, Lou wants to know if you'll work with her, and I was like, of course I'll work with her. So we did one gig outside the Brunswick, um, which was just me and her, Ken Mccluskey. Uh, David Irvin, who's the bass player in the band, um, and we did a, a kind of we, we had some a couple of lowland slack songs at that point written, and the rest was just cover versions. And we just did there was a, Ken McCloskey was just tapping a tambourine, so that was that was our only drummer, I sort of think, <laughs> and he was playing harmonica. But it was brilliant, and it went down a went down a storm. And uh, so Lou and I buckled down and, and got on with kind of writing. And, and from there, it's just seems to have gone from strength to strength. I put a band around her, um, basically kind of hand-picked individuals, um, whereby it was musicians who were very, very sympathetic towards the song. Um, so, I, and the... the, the line-up now is just, it's the superb musicianship. It really is. Very, very classy kind of, people who just, just seem to know what to play. Sure. They're so sympathetic to Lou's songwriting, so it's, it's great. So I come up with the music, Lou comes over, she sees if she can uh, get a melody out of it, that she gets a melody, then she starts honing her lyrics and stuff. So it's just a really nice way of
0: working. It takes ages still. <laughs> <laughs> All good things do though, don't they? Oh, totally, absolutely <laughs> It's very, it's, I, I hate trying to describe music Because you, you hate to pigeonhole anything like that But words that sprang to my mind is it's very kind of cinematic, isn't it? Atmospheric there, words that I would describe it with I don't know if you'd agree absolutely. with
1: that I, Totally, yeah, yeah Well see, the thing is, because she's so uh, descriptive Um what we have to do is, well, when I'm writing uh, the chord progressions, what I do is I, I've got one of these Eventide H9 things, which is absolutely superb, and it's in a wee black star amp, tiny wee thing. And I put these massive reverbs on my guitar, and I and I can get a, a vibe. Um, and I think, right, okay, well, let's get a chord progression that I think they should, should get a melody over. So what I do is I loop the stuff um, so that she can listen to a verse a, idea and then I loop the chorus idea. Mm-hmm. And basically what we do is we, we we then go in, she and I go, go into the studio and then we put an, get an arrangement together for it. A rough arrangement at that point and then bring the band in to kind of flesh it out. So it's, it's, it's a great way of working.
0: And that explains a lot when you said... Uh, Lou had studied in France because there's a lot of French, you know, well not a lot, but there's French song titles and French lyrics within the album as well. Well, she's
1: she's she's a she's always been a bit of a francophile, and, and with me being a, an artist, I've always been kind of, I suppose, um, influenced by the kind of French writers and stuff. She's quite she's very literate. Um, and that's what I liked about songwriting as well. It wasn't a kind of it's quite unusual for songwriters nowadays, which is all very. I think songwriting now is very introspective. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, <laughs> me, you know what I mean? Uh, and the, Mel- the melancholy mackerels, you know, I, 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 where she writes about bigger, uh, more expansive kind of territory. It's not about um. necessarily her experiences, but it does it does relate to. It's not obviously autobiographical, but it's like observations. I think she's a brilliant songwriter.
0: The great thing about it, for, for me anyway, is it's an album that really draws me back to it time and time again. Um, you can tell there's a lot of stories interweaved within it. And, you know, it's going to take some time and a, a lot more listening to to really get into that and, and really get a feel for for the stories that are within there, which is Absolutely. great. It's, Excellent.
1: She always picks really great themes. For instance, she's working on a thing just at the moment. I I gave her uh, music um, for a thing I had done in Logic, uh, which again is just a kind of looped thing. But it seems to work as one piece of music that are we quite like kind of developing like things on on, on almost like a kind of drone kind of thing, Hmm. like can or 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 these kind of things or 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 a a the kind of Krautrock. That kind of thing where you're just sitting on one riff and then you you can build around it. Like in a Steve Reich kind of thing. Yeah. Um and, and she'd she'd seen we we watched the I don't know if you've ever seen the, the documentary Grey Gardens.
0: Uh, no, I haven't no.
1: So it was it was an American friend of mine who put me on to, it. and it's basically uh these two women who live lived in the Hamptons, just outside New York, and they they are completely eccentric. Um <laughs> But they've, they've been, obviously, it's the Hamptons, so they have been extraordinarily wealthy and they were like like New York socialites. Okay, yeah. But they, they ended up eating like cat food and stuff like that. <laughs> there were bonkers, the pair of them. I mean, it's, it's on YouTube, you should see it. It's fascinating and it's touching and it's a, it's, uh, you just can't believe it. I mean, I think the mother who's kind of, has confined herself to bed and little Evie, or, uh, little Evie, little Edie. Uh, the daughter is bonkers. She's absolutely the most eccentric, but there's something really touching about it. So perfect uh, material for Lou to get her teeth into because she uses that that kind of imagery and, and and it's just absolutely brilliant. But you should check that out. It's bonkers.
0: Sounds yeah, sounds good, though. Great. So I know you're a big Gresh fan and uh, I'm, I was trying to pick out what songs you were using, what guitars on. I probably got it totally wrong, but... I was thinking, like, Luna Moth sounds like you're playing the Gretsch just because uh, of the big sort of vibrato, the big space that yeah. I've right? You're probably going to tell me it was something. No, to no, no, no. <laughs> I, I used,
1: I used uh, for the rhythm parts, I used my Jazzmaster. Okay. And because yeah. that's got that kind of spiky, what I try to do is have contrasts, just kind of spiky, dry sound. And then the Gretsch comes in very, very compressed. And loads and loads of a big kind of re- epic reverb on it, mm. so you've got that kind of really dry thing, and then bursting into the chorus, you've got this really washy Daniel Lanois kind of sound. So, but the, I absolutely adore the the, the Gretsch. Uh, I've I've got a few. Um, I use I've got a dual jet, and I've got six one two O's. Uh, then I've got the Brian sets are. Um, the signature model, oh,
0: right. which is
1: yeah. it's an absolutely stunning guitar. It just feels brilliant. So yeah, I mean, I I I think that to me they're like works of art. They really are, you know. I mean, they're, they're iconic these guitars. But the way they're made now, I mean, these are Japanese. Uh, obviously, they're they're kind of factory models, but they're pretty high end. But they are just beautiful. The the everything about them, the craftsmanship. The, the weight of them and and the fact that the the it's the kind of the the kind of single coil it's the kind of Gretsch humbuckers now what I didn't realise that Gretsch actually invented the humbucker but didn't uh, they, they didn't develop it Gibson developed it into the, what we now know as the humbucker but the the pickups on the Gretsch are, are the, the original humbuckers
0: this is it Eddie ones it's TV
1: Jones, yeah, yeah. And, and these are humbuckers. But as I say, the Gretsch didn't develop the pickups. Uh, I, but the thing is, basically, there's no noise comes off them, so that's basically what they're, hum, they're bucking the hum kind of thing. Sure. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. But uh, they're, they're, just, they're just beautiful guitars. I mean, yeah. I have others as well that say uh, the Gretsch is my go-to. You
0: could spend as long looking at them as you can playing them. Oh, absolutely.
1: <laughs> beautiful. I mean, just even the kind of the, the 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 grain of the wood in the 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 Brian Setzer and the other one, they've got a kind of tiger grain in them, and it's just phenomenal, beautiful.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll ask you more about your your gear in a wee while, but I was just going to maybe mention the, the Souvenir de Trois song on the album as well. So that's got some really, I'll use the word mysterious chords, I think, isn't it? It's quite an interesting bunch of in that song.
1: Well, that's that's say I I do a lot of stuff in drop D, ah, um, okay. and what I try to do is find these really quite kind of ominous chords. That 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 song actually went through a bit of a, a kind of um, a lot of different um, evolutions. That kind of thing is that the the second part of that song originally was more like a kind of sort of Mogwai post rock thing, which just became really loud. And, and and Louise's voice kind of disappeared. Ah, <laughs> it just got bigger and bigger, and it, it sort of worked to a certain extent. But we just decided to make it a bit more of a groove, and to have that because Fiona was doing backing vocals at that point, so it didn't. And, and what I wanted to do was was give her more space to 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 bring what she brings to it, rather than just being big huge guitars. You know what I mean? So it's it's a I think it's lovely the way that's ended up. Um, So, but again, it was it was like the 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 first part of the song, you know, part A, if you like, the kind of these kind of ominous, spooky chords. That was I had an idea for ages, and then I had a recording of it, and I couldn't work out what the chords were. Ah, I'm happy I done
0: that as well. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's right. I dropped a D, so I kind of worked (laughs) it out from there. But it took me ages. Definitely really, really rich sound. The whole the whole sound is rich, as I said. I think your guitar adds that you've said it as well. The the huge reverb and the, the sort of twang of the Bigsby like battle and your other guitars just it's really, really cracking sounding. Thank you. It was La Chunky Studios, Glasgow it was recorded, wasn't it?
1: Aye, aye, with Johnny and, Smiley. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, and I was following I think it was your drummer Leslie had stuff on YouTube whilst you were in recording it. And uh, cool. it, it seemed to me you like, I've never really met any of you, but look like a great fun band, and I'm just wondering, the music's kind of quite, you know, serious and moody. How do you go from having a pure laugh with each other to, right, let's play this really serious bit of music now? Seems like quite a contrast.
1: <laughs> so, well, I mean, even rehearsals and stuff like that, it's just a laugh, <laughs> you know. I mean, I think it's because we, because we're quite kind of passionate about the, the music, but. You know, as people were were really approachable, and we do have a lot of. Fun. I mean, one of the greatest things about it has been, even if we didn't strike a note together, a lot of us, I'd still hang out with these people. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh-huh. One, I think it's a good They're just really, really good people, and you know, I, I don't. I think it's a prerequisite of people who are serious artists that they should be poor faced. Upties as well, do you know what I mean? It's, yep. It doesn't make any sense. You know, I I I like to have a good laugh, and, and mostly, I mean, you, you'll have seen my stuff on Facebook. <laughs> and I, I laugh myself, I'm always the victim of moan jokes. You know, I I, I just think I kind of take everything dead seriously, especially a, a man of my vintage. <laughs> you know, I I just can't be bored with the kind of like you know slightly precious rubbish that comes out. You know, and, and when making a big deal, you know. It's that's not necessarily, you know. You're you're removed from it as a person because uh, you're making the stuff. You don't live it, you yeah. know. You you you, basically, you know. If if you did, you'd be in a lunatic asylum, <laughs> so, you <know>? yeah.
0: well,
1: <laughs> like, yeah. which which I must admit, I probably was pretty close to at one point. <laughs>
0: Can you tell me a wee bit about for people that don't know? It's out on the label last night from Glasgow, but that's more than a label, isn't it? It's a, it's a record store. It's a sort of membership music thing as well. It's quite a quite a unique thing, isn't
1: it? It's, it's phenomenal, actually. I mean, the two guys that I know who are involved. It's like Ian Smith, who's obviously the kind of the, the, the kind of boss, if you like, and a guy called Gary Sloan, and and they just they seem to be really visionary about stuff. Um, they put a hell of a lot of material and they re-release stuff. Mm, that yep. You say that they have a retail outlet as well. I mean, it's just, when they approached us, we, we're on their Hive label. We're, we're actually not on the main label.
0: All right, okay.
1: Uh, yep. that, that may change. I'm, I don't really know. It just remains to be seen. But we're, I mean, Lou's, as I say, Lou's coming over on Saturday. We need to write a second album. Um we <laughs> wanted us to go to the studio in January, um, that wasn't really going to happen because we haven't got any new songs at the moment, you know. We have, I am bronic kind of ideas, yeah. but they're, they've, they've been really great, and really supportive and they don't, they don't pressurise us at all, you know, it's, uh, unlike in the past when I was involved with different, you know, major record labels who are like on your case the whole time. I can I imagine? Um, yeah but obviously they're, they're, like, what, what, what an amazing opportunity you know an amazing operation that they have put together I, and it's it's just it just seems to go from strength to strength it's, it's it's a real honor to be involved in that because I think there's something their kind of business model is quite unusual it seems to be non-profit making I have never heard of a company being a non-profit <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're, they're, not, they're not an NGO you know what I mean it's like this is a they're fantastic, they really are.
0: Brilliant. Jumping back to your gear for a minute, um, I've seen from your Facebook page that you've you've recently upgraded your pedal boards, haven't you? So you, you've got different rigs for different projects on the go. What's your sort of main Lowland Slacks rig then, I guess?
1: Well, I, I'm still to build that because I, I've got Lyle Watt, who's a, a great guitar player. Wild Lyle Watt, as he calls himself, he plays with Amy Stewart and he plays with the Blue Rose Code. Right. And he, he, he's a young guy. <laughs> it's quite ironic because I, I I used to teach down at James Watt College down in Greenock.
0: Oh, right.
1: And I was doing like, like a half an hour lessons with the, 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 the students and he came in and I'm like, all right, what have you got for me today? That he's just so good. And I, I was like, right wee man, show me. What's it? You show me some some licks. So he was teaching me. Basically, he's, he's brilliant. And uh, <coughs> so I asked Lyle to help me with the pedal board, and he's he's, he's just he's, he's invaluable. You know, he just knows all that stuff inside out. I'm a luddite. I'm a total stomp box guy. You know, just like stick them all in series, and I'll just jump on them. But there's obviously I wanted to kind of learn a wee bit more. So he's been brilliant
0: there's nothing wrong with stomp boxes i think it's just if you can find a way of grouping them into a you know a switching system even though it just makes your life easier rather than tap dancing but okay. so what's um on your can i think you play with a greg taylor band as well what, what would be your typical rig for that then what's the main differences obviously you're not using the huge reverbs you would use with lowland slacks and stuff no,
1: uh, what what I put together with Lyle initially was a kind of. I mean, I was learning a lot of rockabilly licks, ah. and I mean, that was before I was in the Greg Taylor combo. And and basically, what I'd, uh, I found a guy online. It was during the lockdown. It was brilliant because I just thought, right, I'm, I'm going to teach myself some new stuff, and I've never been a big, I've never been a big fan of rock music. Um, which which surprises some people. I've, I, that's that's not true. Actually, I, I was, but certain types of rock um, that was more allied to rock and roll. My my love is rock and roll and blues. So I thought, right, I'm I'm, I'm going to learn some rockabilly licks. And I found this guy called Damian Batchy. He lives in Florida. And he's just the nicest guy in the world, and he's just absolutely brilliant. And he's superb at doing all that Brian Setzer stuff. He just really knows it inside out. And he's got such a brilliant teaching style. And it's quite difficult to follow because, obviously, you you I, as, a, as a player myself, I would not be able to come up with this stuff. I wouldn't, you know, some some things in the kind of blues thing, you can kind of fall into, and you're like, oh, Christ, I've just done that, That's that's amazing. This stuff is so linked to jazz that you couldn't really do that. You wouldn't be able to do it in terms of like, well, I just stumbled across this riff. It's all kind of um, modal kind of thing. Yeah you, know, yeah, you know, it goes into different kind of modes, and, and it's beautiful. But uh, this guy teaches it so beautifully. So I thought, right, I want, I can kind of get, I can kind of estimate that sound. Plus my pedal mat that you've probably seen, <laughs> yeah, yep. I, I used the very last time at the CCA last year was becoming, uh, well, dangerous. <laughs> Just so like noisy and and you know, the, you know at sound checks when I'm putting putting when I was putting my stuff together, people would flee to the hills it was like because they knew there was going to be all sorts of squeaks and bangs and stuff going off (laughs) so i thought let's get this organized so i got some really great pedals and made it really compact so that's how that worked out for the lowland slacks thing it's a wee bit more involved it involves quite a lot of different reverbs and i wanted to expand the kind of sonic choice that i would have plus i think we're, we're going to try and go into kind of midi as well but that'll be later on i don't want to do that just now one thing at a time, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's just, it's, it's, I've, had, I've had the opportunity, and I've primarily I've been able to afford things that I could never afford before. Sold some paintings, you know, just, and I just thought, well, I'm going to reinvest in the music thing, um, and, and I've got some lovely stuff, and Lyle's coming over, he's coming over tomorrow, actually, and we're going to, we're not going to put it together, but we're going to talk about what I've got and where we can... This is going to involve a bit of planning. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good the way we're approaching this in terms of like, well, he knows how I can get what it is I'm looking for. And what I want to get into is the you know, Robin Guthrie, the Cocteau twins guitar player. Ah,
0: right, yeah.
1: Yeah. Massive influence on me. I I just love the way he managed to and that's where the cinematic thing comes from. Ah. Kind of him and Daniel Lanois, Um and that's that's kind of, you know, using a lot of really big reverbs and and, and really clear. You know, so I think the next record will have a more of a a kind of higher fidelity to it. Perhaps um, recorded in the same vein, but the actual quality of the sounds that we're going to be using are going to be really high end. So it's good.
0: There's, there's, I think there's never been a a better time to be a guitarist in terms of gear, has there? It just seems to have taken right. leaps and <laughs> bounds. The technology, it's like unbelievable. But um, you know, I know there's there's quite a big jump to the to the digital side. But I think you know there's still a lot to be said for. Capture. I, I don't think you can still quite beat the sound of a valve amp, can you? And, and stuff like that. It's, it's not quite there, but it's getting hell of a close, right enough.
1: Well, you see, I mean, I think that one of the things that I noticed that a lot of people are using it is the the, the kind of straight and PA. What are they called?
0: There's a four? few different ones. Line Six Helix. That's one. That's one, and there's yeah. all these other Kemper and Fractal as well.
1: I I think I would stop short of doing that. I like the amp. I, I just like the, I, I, mean, I mean, the technology may have caught up already and, 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 you know, you may not be able to use, you know, not need to use that stuff, but there's something comforting about seeing amps on stage, you know what I mean? <laughs> not so much if you've got to carry the damn things right enough, which is usually what <laughs> I've got to do.
0: <laughs> I think, you know, in terms of recording, I think you probably wouldn't notice the difference at all. You know, no one would say, oh, that's been done digitally or whatever, but I think, from a rehearsal or any kind of live thing, it's a physical thing that a speaker's pushing air and no matter how good the digital sounds you just feel that hitting the back of your trousers or whatever it is, you know, you feel it in the room yeah. the kind
1: of, yeah, I mean, that, that is, see, I think there's a part of me that has, that has that kind of Luddite thing as well where you know, I'm maybe a wee bit scared of, of technophobe, you know, but, but there is a thing about, as you say, the kind of moving air it, it, that's basically what music is you know, and, and I just think I'd like to still retain the kind of rock and roll aspect of it as well. You know, um, I used to love going to gigs and, and checking out the amps, the guy's had, you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. if, if it comes to the point where people are not using them anymore, I'm going to be out of my depth, you know. <laughs> How do they make that sound?
0: <laughs> I think, as I say, I think with technology, there's so many things you can do, even if it's, If it was going digital out the front, you can still have amps behind you as well to recreate the feeling and stuff. I think there's there's endless possibilities now. That's the thing, so... Absolutely.
1: I mean, it's it's a good time. I I just hope we can get back gigging again.
0: (laughs) Really, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Any more plans for Lowland Slacks to do more shows this year or...?
1: Well, we were supposed to be playing with Hipsway in the uh, the Freckfest thing in Trun oh, on the 25th of okay. February but it got pulled, obviously because of the Omicron thing um, and, and there's no reschedule so I don't know, what our plan is just to write just now um, there's no great hurry uh, but I'd like to get back out in gigs, but as I say the, 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 it's a great band but it is like Herb and Cats. everybody's busy, you know, yeah. Leslie's Leslie and Fiona are both in uh, the Rebel Sparks, they're, they're a function band. Um, Davey plays with everybody. Um, I've got the Greg Taylor thing going on as well, and I, I make my own electronic music as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's kind of quite busy doing things. So, and plus the fact, obviously, I'm a painter, you know, a, an artist by that's what I make money. So, um, so I. It's, it's as I say, hurting
0: cats. <laughs> <laughs> Just when you mentioned the, the painting thing as well, so I was going to ask you: it's a really lovely uh, cover for the, the Minworth album, and was were you, were you tempted to do the artwork yourself? I noticed it was done by someone else, or is that like too close to the bone? You'd rather have someone else's perception of what the music meant to them, that kind of thing, or?
1: Well, I, I've I've got um, Ashley Cooks, a friend of mine, and she's a printmaker and I showed well Lou had seen some of her stuff on only and, and she just felt that, that that it captured the mood of the band better than than what I would do I, I'm an abstract painter I, I it, it was possible I could have come up with something but Ashley's nailed it you know she she really has you know she, she captures something that that really encompasses what the band's all about and I think we'll probably use Ashley a lot um for visuals you know um that that was basically it but plus if i i just didn't have time you know I, and i just I, I i knew that that was already you know ashley had already made an image that we could use so and and she was she was blown she, she was delighted to do it so it's
0: great Great. yeah i was going to say it's a bit much isn't it writing the songs recording the album then having to do the artwork as well it's like where do you <laughs> yeah.
1: The
0: roughly cottage industry, good grief. <laughs> I first heard you, Brian, through uh, The Big Dish. Uh, and I think I was a fairly late comer to The Big Dish, to be honest. I never, ever, unfortunately, got to see you live. But um, I think I he- heard about The Big Dish through some mates. And it actually, one of my first bands, we used to do a cover of Big New Beginnings. So. <laughs> All right. I've got to, to know about you, but um, and from that, I think well, I bought
1: some. They're probably better doing it than me, we were doing
0: it. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I think Keeping up in Jesus was already out at that point, but I went back and got swimmer and stuff. Well, I, I was brought
1: in to do swimmer, and um, Stephen had some business to deal with. And I had literally just joined the band. He had some business to do up in, up in, in in Scotland, so he left me. I had to do, I had to do the. the he, he was he was away for a couple of few weeks, and uh, I, had, I had to phone him every every night when I go back to the Columbia and said, "Look, Ian's got me doing this, that, and the next thing is that all right?" It's just, I had to ask for kind of permission and, and keep ta- him him to keep tabs on it because it was like I was like right, this is not my. Stop my album. You know, this is yours. You know, and I'm I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. So but it turns out I, I was. But it was it was good. Ian Ritchie was the producer on that. And uh, it was it was great, absolutely brilliant, but it was just it was difficult for me. I was in a difficult position because I was just kind of new to the band. I'm in a studio in London with a guy I don't really know, I'm not really sure whether he's doing the right thing or not. <laughs> I don't know whether I'm doing the right thing or not. But it all well worked out rather well, so it was good.
0: Definitely, yeah. Yeah, and I think, do you remember those uh, live recordings Radio Clyde used to put out on a Saturday night of different gigs? And it, there was a big yeah. dish one. It was a, a lot of gigs were put on at the pavilion. I remember yeah. listening to that, um, and I think the songs from Creeping Up and Jesus were out then, but I think some of the tracks he's played were maybe Eventually made it onto satellites as well. Like I remember 25 years being played at that live yeah. Definitely Pavilion stuff. Yeah.
1: That was well, actually that 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 gig was a bit of a um oof to that because we didn't have a record deal at the time. Virgin mm-hmm. had let us go, and there were a few record companies up there, and we really had to pull the stops out to to get another deal. And we eventually signed with East West for satellites um which was it's basically a subsidiary of warner brothers um so thank god you know because the stuff was developing in a really nice way so it was good
0: definitely i'm glad you mentioned that i was going to move on to that so satellites i think you know for me it's just an amazing album i think i think i'm a real production snob somehow and that album just ticked all the boxes for me it's just such a pristine, clean, and really... But without being clinical, it's just a really warm, really clean, smooth sounding album, isn't it? It's just perfection, I think.
1: I I, I, I love Warren Livesey. I I mean, he's a Facebook friend. He lives in Canada now. He lives in Vancouver. Um, But Warren was brilliant. He'd worked with Viva.
0: Okay, yep.
1: Matt Johnson, and and he, he just... We went into pre-production with him and it was fast. We went into Gnomus, Um, and it was myself and just myself and Stephen because we, he was just routine and stuff. Uh, and Warren was just sitting in the the Aki and all that sort of stuff and going through different samples and things. And it was, uh, Warren was the driest man I've ever, he like... He had a brilliant sense of humour, but you had to kind of get to know him first. Um, and I, I'd imagine he probably still is, but he's—he he's, uh, was—he was just really, really funny, um, and quite very, very dry and laconic. You know, you you, you really—you know, you didn't get away with anything with him. We had one one wee story. I was doing the an acoustic guitar pass in Miss America.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: and it was it was the acoustic played right up to the bit that breaks down again, and of course, I'd basically bought this Casio watch from Shepherd's Bush Market that beeped on the hour, <laughs> and, and uh, he was brilliant. He just so I played the, the the guitar pass the the acoustic guitar pass, and I sort of looked up and he pressed the talk back thing and he's like, so Brian, it's, uh, it's possibly one of the best acoustic guitar passes I've ever recorded. Do you want to come in and hear it? And I was like, I, I, he hasn't heard that beat. that's excellent. <laughs> so I went and then I, and I, he says like, what do you think? And I heard that within the context of the track and I was like, oh, brilliant, that's really good. And he, he said, yeah, do you want to hear it soloed? And I was like, oh, okay. And then of course there's a wee beep and he says, "Give me the watch." And <laughs> <laughs> he, he put his foot through the watch. Oh, he said, right. Right, back in, back. <laughs> it was only about nineteen quid or something." But he said, "Right, buy another watch, get your backside back in there, and get that done again, and try and get it as good as that." It was hilarious. I mean, the whole thing was just really, really funny. He did, of course, the, you know, the kind of sequence bit in Miss America. Yeah, that's that's three guitars. Playing that, but and wow. he had me. He had me in the studio at half past eight in the morning to start doing that, just because he could. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, why, why am I in so early? He's like, because you can. Because <laughs> I come in at, eight. you know, like eight o'clock in the morning. I'm on the acting bus, the number eighty-eight acting bus, and I'm hungover, and I don't really want to be going to the studio at that time in the morning he did it, it used to be bad, you know what I mean? But, well, that was my contribution to that song because we'd been listening to a lot of Steve Reich. And I, I thought, I want to find a figure that, that can change ever so slightly throughout the song, but it's like a, a riff, like a pulse all yeah. the way through. It's quite a cordy song, it's just something that tied it all together. And, and basically, whatever, I, I, I picked a kind of figure and it worked. But it was murder to play. <laughs> so when it came to doing it live, we actually just we stuck it in the sabbler. And I just got to play the chords. Because I was doing the backing vocals as well. So uh,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: I could play that and do the backing vocals as well.
0: Absolutely. because I always think it's a bit like a clock ticking Can kind I of feel at the start of the song, you know, just with all that going on, rhythmic thing. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many good songs on that. I mean, there's some really sort of Blue Nile-type keyboard sounds as well throughout it, isn't there? It's well, well, well
1: uh, both... I mean, we were all big Blue Nile fans, but both Craig and Stephen were were quite... Stephen's always had a very a, a big soft spot for Paul Buchanan and the Blue Nile, and Craig was, was kind of... He, he got these kind of sounds so easily, it was unbelievable. You know I mean? I mean, Craig Armstrong is, is a... He's off the scale musician, you know. What I mean, just ridiculous uh, string arranger. You know, he's I mean, the, the things he's done subsequently. You know, he worked with Massive Attack, and he's 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 done stuff with. Uh, you know, he's. I think he, he may even have won an Oscar by now. You know, with his film soundtracks and stuff. Yeah, you know, he's, yeah. he's incredible. So, aye, I mean, I, I mean, that's the the, the great. Just as a, as a guy from Coal Bridge, you know. I, I end up working with these unbelievable musicians. You know and I mean? It's just fantastic. It's I, I, and that that's what always amazes me. You know, throughout my career, I've been, I've been lucky to work with great songwriters and other great musicians. You know that really kind of. I mean, Craig Armstrong is pure quality. You know, he's just he's a beautiful piano player um, and very very knowledgeable about what he's doing. You know, so I like that. Sure, yeah. Whereas, Kind of, like, slightly rude fellow from from Coatbridge plays a bit of rock and roll.
0: <laughs> Magic. The State of the Union was another one I was going to speak to you about. It's again, production is just so good, it's like all these sequenced parts. And I think it's a you can keep me right, it sounds like a, I think it's a drum machine, but it sounds so like a drummer, but it's just so spot on. And then you're doing some wild guitar in that it's a kind of funky wah wah part you get yeah. really clean chorus parts and then the guitar solo is just like some sort of frenzied attack isn't yeah. it
1: it's well a... it, the, the thing is what what I didn't want to do a guitar solo so I was right into Frip at the time uh, and and also the stuff especially the stuff he did on Scary Monsters and I thought this would be perfect for that kind of approach um, yeah. And to make it as kind of atonal as Fripp does on uh, It's No Game, you know, the, the song on Scary Monsters, the, the guitar playing is wild on there, absolutely wild. So it, it, it took a wee bit of uh, a bit of negotiation, at <laughs> least, because obviously Stephen's not a, a massive fan of the guitar solo, um, but he liked what I did on that, you know. There's very, I've I, I very rarely had the opportunity to to solo much um, in terms of guitar playing because I learned to to be sympathetic to the song mm. and to try not to to overplay, um, which it may have been something that happened in the kind of '80s where it was you play parts. That's what you that, that was a it was a bit of a joke that someone's play parts, play parts. You know, and it was like when I, when I was growing up in the seventies going to gigs and stuff like that, I mean I used to love like Dr. Feelgood and all these sort of guys, you know, and it was all not not wild solos, but that there was had this kind of like rougher edge and Glasgow was quite a you know, it was all orange juice and the bluebells and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really come from that kind of background of pop. I came from rock and rock and roll, you know. Um, I mean, I was massively at the New York Dolls and Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers, and I still am, you know. That that stuff just sends me. I, I, I you know, people say, Well, you know, Chuck Berry riffs and stuff, but yeah, pff, ain't broke, don't fix it, you know. As far as I'm concerned, that, that's what I like, you know. I, I and rather than playing, I, I. I Everybody would hit me with things like Eddie Van Halen and all that sort of stuff, and I was fair enough. I don't want to go that way. It's it's too technique dri- driven for me, and that's not to say there's anything wrong with it. I, I think there are people who are brilliant at doing it. Eddie, Eddie Van Halen was incredible. That that is no doubt. It just wasn't for me.
0: Sure, yeah.
1: Probably I I could probably do it if I you know sat down and and played it, but I was much more into. Like the old Cliff Gallup and 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 you know the like Brian Setzer and, and these kind of guys had some tie-in with rock and roll. I love poison ivy. She doesn't do any solos, you know, <laughs> camps. I love that stuff.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah. That's that's so, where the Bigsby fascinations came from then. Oh,
1: big time aye. Oh no, absolutely that and Link Ray and all these sort of guys just like waggled that thing around. <laughs> it's great.
0: I can't mention the Satellites without, without talking about Shipwreck though honestly I think it's probably one of my favourite songs and it it just you know the, the, the groove throughout it and the way it builds and stuff and it, I think I've said to you before about your, your guitar playing on that if ever there was playing to a song that's it, what you've done on that you know it's just it's just wee notes here and there bends, yeah. the, the reverbs coming in and out on it and the song's very sort of plain, you know. Everything's low key, and then towards the end, there's st- when the, the it's all kind of rim shot, but when the drum starts coming into the snare, and it's just this groove between the band to the end. And I think you, you know, from the liner notes, it's, it's, the people that were on it, it was like Pino Palladino and Mano Kicchi, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, I mean that, that was ridiculous. I mean that, it was fantastic. And the great thing about that was that I, I decided that when I was doing that guitar pass. I had been practising um, playing with my fingers, just just not, no plectrum. Yeah. Uh, so that's all just played with my... I mean, I'm not very good at doing it, but I, I, I kind of thought, well, I can get a good feel out of this. And it really was the guitar. It was a Strat and it was just DI'd into the desk <laughs> and the, all the reverbs were just worked by Warren when it came to the mix. And I just played this stuff. And it's it was, I mean, really, Manu Catching, Pino Palladino, crazy. you could do anything over the top of them. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And that was a, that was a, 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 an incredible day watching those two. You know, in fact, the thing that Pino was, the first time we played through Shipwrecked, it was too fast. Ah. I thought, what's he doing? And then the second time we played it, it was too slow. And I was like, what's he playing at? That's far too slow. And of course, what he was doing was, in the run-throughs, was to see, it was more more or less quantizing what it is. You know, how am I going to get that fill in there? You know, blah, blah, blah. What can I do in here? And he'd all mapped out within two takes, within, within two plays through. And the third time, he completely nailed it. As did Pino, you know, and it was like, holy shit, this really is the real deal. Do you know what I mean? And just to be in, yeah, I mean the Manu Kachi was he had a fag hanging at his mouth and he was laughing while he was doing this sort of thing. And you're like that, this is this is effortless for this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Phenomenal.
0: I mean, mean, how did how did that go then? You know, Shipwrecked obviously was was born out of something. I don't know whether it was just you and Stephen playing it or something, but does it take on a whole new scope when you have players like that in it? Or did, did you just know and tell them this is a feel we want? Or, you know, did they just go for it and you were like, that's it, that's the feel there? Or? Well,
1: you know, I, I can't actually remember, Craig. I, I think
0: we demoed
1: it um, in Stephen's house mm-hmm. um, and it, it kind of, with the body of the soul as, as was, and then it just kind of drifted out thinking, well, we'll just fade that out, you know, you know, as it as it, as it kind of was, but what was happening was so interesting. At the end, we just we just played it until it naturally just burnt out, and it, we didn't play it for too long. It just seemed to be the perfect length. Um, so I mean, there was you know the the, the gods were smiling as the music gods were smiling us on us that day because it, that was actually the way that uh, track worked out was just people watching, heads up, right, where's he going now? And everybody's feeling their way through it. And it ended perfectly. And it was like, we couldn't really actually believe we'd just done it. But Pino and, and Manu, because they were listening to what we were doing as well, so it was beautiful. And I realised at that point that they were they were the kind of musicians who were so seasoned that they just kind of felt what was going on. And they had, they did have a brilliant feel as well. You know, I'd heard Manu playing on stuff with Peter Gabriel and um, Robbie Robertson and people like that. And I just thought, my God, Joni Mitchell, all these things. And he'd done all, this, and he was a dead, humble guy. You know, he's just a really lovely, funny French guy, you know. And Pino's a lovely big guy as well. I've never seen hands that size ever. When you wait to shake your hand, it looks as if you have been attacked by an occup- octopus, you know what I mean? It's like grief. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's just such a when you're talking about the ending of that song, you're right, you would think it was all mapped out, but you think you just do this wee bend, the band striking like as a wee piano sprinkle, you know, right yeah. in the last note, and that's it done. And you're like, poof, it's just it's a really standout track, really is, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, it has to be said that, like Craig Armstrong does this thing at the end where you've got a violin out and we mic'd up the violin. And you hear these these noises, and he just wiped, rubbed his finger up and down the violin, put a massive delay on it. You'll hear the sound. Wow. And it's just mind-blowing, absolutely brilliant. And he just come up with this idea. That I'm just going to rub my hand and, and, and just, like, put, put, rub my finger along the, the the strings until the harmonics come in and, and and just bowed it. And it's just incredible. And just this massive kind of reverb delay on it. You'll, if you, if you listen for it, it's, you, you'll hear this great sound. I'll it's go
0: back great. and listen for that now. I never I never picked that out before. I've probably just because the production's so good. It's just this one sound that you kind of isolate things, you know. But
1: I, oh no, it's, it, it, mm. I was my God, that, that's a brilliant idea. So it just it really sets the kind of the, the atmosphere of it as well. So it, it's it was just that was a great time to be recording as well. Everybody was kind of on fire in terms of, Playing and stuff, so it was great, absolutely superb.
0: Right, what would you say is your favorite big dish track then? If you had one, if you had to pick one,
1: same, same as you, um, Shipwrecked. for me, that was a uh, that was the track that I realized that you know this, this makes it worth doing this because you know you're getting to work with these incredible musicians, you're making this track that you thought, well. I can be really proud of that. State of the Union's another thing as well. I mean, I, I, it's not about my guitar playing, but it's just you know I, I, there were little bursts of excitement that came out that I got a chance to, to 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 put down on vinyl. And, and when you're thinking like I'm 28 years old, you know I mean, and and I think to myself, well, that's that's not bad for a 28 year old, you know, at the time where there's no internet, you know, you're you're just trying to be creative, and it, it was great. And I, and I must admit, you know, yeah, I, I, working with Stephen Lindsay was a joy. You know, he's, he's an amazing songwriter. He's got an incredible voice. He's a great painter as well. But we, we, the great thing is we're all still pals. You know, there's no... There, there, it didn't end in in, a, in any kind of... Um, you know, it, it wasn't a... We all fell out. It wasn't musical differences. It was just it had run its course. We were losing a record deal. That, that was it. You know, the sales didn't reflect... What, what was happening plus the, the, I think the Gulf War had started so oh. that was a bit annoying <laughs> it's <laughs> always like that it's scuppered my career <laughs> world events thank you
0: <laughs> any chance do you think any any chance of Big Dish doing anything else in the future again just never know I guess just see what happens if
1: well you know it's funny because yes, I, I I talk to Raymond a lot uh, the, the bass player um, Raymond I, we're still very close friends and um, Stephen has actually said in, in an interview recently that he's, he's I can't remember who it was with he said never say never so that's fair enough that keeps he always keeps the door open on, on the idea but the one thing we never do is pressure him to do that. He's got his own project. He's got some brilliant players involved in that. He's got Ross McFarlane and Adrian Barry playing in his band and Stuart McCready, oh. uh, the guy in the studio. And, and I mean, you, you couldn't get a better band than that in Scotland, really, because I mean, so Ross is hot off the, the, the Texas stuff. Yeah, uh, AD played with Ross in the High Fidelity. Um, with Sean Dixon. I mean, they're they're all seasoned pros as well, you know. So they're that's a great band. I'm looking forward to. It. I've I've heard one track from his new album. It's mm. fantastic, right? Mean, and I think Stuart McCready's, uh producing it. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm, I'm going to get that as soon as it comes out. And, you know, and, and yeah, you know, as I say, I, I would, you know, at the drop of a hat, I would I would get back into it again, but. Obviously, I, you know, I'd, I'd like to, I want to concentrate on my own stuff and let, you know, we always let Stephen get on with, with his own thing. There's no point in pressurising him into doing yeah. something that at that point he doesn't want to do. Yeah. Uh, we, obviously, we did the career kind of reunions a few years ago and, and that was really good, but, but I could tell that he had got cold feet again and, and basically, if he gets cold feet, it's not happening. And you just think, well, there's a reason for that, so let it go, you know. You know, and, and i say you never say never yeah but the truth is i don't know
0: (laughs) (laughs) good to know there's a chance though there's a chance you (laughs) You know we've talked about the big dish and then lowland slacks but there's quite a big gap in the middle there so what what kind of things you've 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 guested on or played with a lot of artists haven't you like for instance James Grant but I don't know if that fits in between those two bands or or was there other things
1: well I think there was a few other things but the the, the James Grant thing is that it is I've been in the James Grant band which is not the most active band in the world Probably I've been in James's band for longer than I was in the Big Dish, which is quite. But <laughs> okay. I, I mean, he's he's another one. I, I, the 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 musicians he puts together are, are brilliant. I mean, it's it's just it's a, it's a joy to play with, with these guys. I, I, we were supposed to be, we were supposed to be playing in Darvel the week that the pandemic start, started, mm-hmm. and we went into the studio to start rehearsing. And James got the call, and the guy from Darvel just said. We can't do it mm. so, and that's been that was two years ago. So, well, I belong aye, two years, yeah. yeah. So, I, I don't know. James is doing stuff at the moment at the frets thing with Norman Blake and Bernard Butler, I think, um, yeah. So you know he's he's busy with that just i haven't heard from james for a i just wait for the call we get the call we go in and rehearse and, and we do this stuff and it's just brilliant i, I just love playing with that band but i mean i just love gigging as well do you know I and mean? so and i've missed
0: it on terrible was there a marine saying that you did some work with marianne faithful as well at some point
1: oh yes oh god i've for, for toured with her for a year
0: oh right
1: aye. so we, we started in malmo in sweden and we finished in Christchurch Christ in New Zealand a year later. Fantastic. What a, I mean, that was incredible. That, that was a phenomenal
0: experience. Wow. Because I, I, I think I'd seen something online, but I thought it was maybe like a one-off gig or something. I didn't realise it was such an, a longer. Well,
1: it, was, it was an extensive tour. Yeah. Uh, that was, that, that's one of the highlights of my musical life, to be honest. It was just some of the stuff that happened was just awesome. Um, playing with Bill Frizzell in Seattle that was one of them Bill Frizzell was I I have never, ever heard an acoustic guitar sound like this ever you know, I mean, the the guy is like it's as close to art as I've ever heard he's just again, a wee humble guy with wee round specs but approaches the instrument in a way that I've never seen it before. I have no idea what, how he does it.
0: Right, right.
1: It's, it's a, such economic you know, economy of movement and yet what comes out of the guitar is like a symphony. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. And it's not it's not footery, it's not it isn't uh, a It's just everything is there that's meant to be there. It's phenomenal. Very very sparse player. Everything's in the right place.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely stunning. It was a song called "Strange Weather," which we covered in Lowlands slacks occasionally as well. All oh, so. right. Tom wait, song.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But yeah, that—that—that was—that—that that was a real experience. that was a uh, quite something.
0: What's it like being on tour for so long, Damien? Do you? Mean, do you... Do you shake it up? We take it, you ticky. don't do the exact same set every night. You've got to keep it a wee bit fresh and, and introduce some new things as you go and things like that. To keep it interesting. Or well,
1: when we if the bizarre thing was when we started rehearsing, we rehearsed in in the the place up in Maryhill. What's it called? Practice pad.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah.
1: And Marianne wasn't there until the end of those, and she came up to Maryhill. Silly. <laughs> <It's hilarious. laughs> Um so that, that that was that was quite interesting. Um we had not actually met her until we had finished rehearsing, but we had to, we were given her throughout the tour, we probably learned about 60 songs. And she would shake it up and she would say, well, I want to do this song tonight. So if 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 we want if she wanted to do particular songs, we would get into a hotel room and practice it and and, and learn it properly and then we'd be able to do it at the sound check and then if she liked it at the sound check then we would do it you know so wow. it was it, it was quite a high pressure gig of that there was no doubt because you were expected to to work to a very very high standard um and it was very very disciplined mm. uh not something i would have been you know used to <laughs> I'm an old punk You know what I mean So But uh, No it really it, it was a Something A bit of a baptism of fire Because you're playing I mean especially for me I was playing stuff That people like Ry Cooder had played And And the You know The Rolling Stones had played Or Yeah uh, all these, these dudes You know you know, And I had to emulate Or Or uh, Abridge those Parts Because there were maybe Two or three guitars played on The oh. tracks Um I don't it it, it you to actually just kind of like tailor it so that it was becoming something that she recognized. Do mm. yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um and now it was an incredible experience. And I, I learned a lot from it. And what 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 because Lou has a very similar voice, um better pitching to be honest. <laughs> uh, no disrespect to Marianne, but uh I learned a lot about how to work that way. You know, it's quite a kind of artistic kind of way to work Mm. as opposed to like pure out-and-out rock and roll because you've got to play for the voice. Ah. Uh, And and sometimes Marianne's songs went to be really, really raw to very, very kind of intimate and heartfelt and and quite... um, feel orientated very sort of you have to be very sensitive to what she was singing and the way she was singing it and then you have something that was just you know straight out rock and roll Mm -hmm. um and it could be within the 15 minutes you played just about every emotional the the whole emotional bandwidth was there sometimes in one song but so it was it really was a, a steep steep learning curve but it was brilliant it really was yeah. again great musicians involved andy may incredible piano player johnny boyle amazing drummer irish guy and gary john cain who i played with in various different things he plays with the, the proclaimers now ah, so yeah. it all grows <clears throat> um so yeah all good stuff absolutely i mean i've been really i, I you know I, i've been so so lucky and the way I've just kind of fallen into things, it's just been incredible. Because I'm a to be to be really fair, you know, I'm a, bit of a chancer when it comes to it. <laughs> it's like, can you do such and such a thing? Aye, of course I can. Then I've got to go and and learn it. You know what I mean? You play bottleneck guitar? Aye, aye. <laughs> Somebody teach me quick. <laughs> oh,
0: superb, superb. And I was going to say, you know, with that amount of touring, I don't know if you do get if you if you get nervous at all before gigs, but did that amount of playing live cure it or, or did it not bother you anyway? You know, that kind of thing.
1: No, that, that, playing with Marianne Faithful every day, it was a bit like that. Yeah, there's a, a line in Apocalypse Now with a the guy, um, there's white guy in one of the helicopters and he's like, I'm not going, I'm not going. The guy just pushes him out. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying because it's not, it's probably the way rock and roll should be. Mm. it could fall apart at any minute (laughs) and it never did and that would see that was one of the things because the band that she she sacked the previous band and the previous band she had was Beck's band now Beck's band are superb but the problem that they had was the fact that they didn't know how to deal with her they'd been Beck who's kind of on top of it now Marianne is not She's she's not she's a brilliant singer and lyricist and all these things, but she's not musically literate. Do you understand what I mean? Uh, okay, yeah. She she doesn't really know if somebody changes something, it throws her. Mm. She gets used to a certain formula, and she knows what's going to happen. You give her wee cues, and and, and but you've got to follow her. Uh, so basically, if she if she screws up a line or something, you 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 improvise around it so that she can get she's got a way back in. Yeah. Beck's, band, Beck's band were brilliant musicians, but they couldn't do that. They would just stop. <laughs> you can't don't stop during the gig. Now and it freaked her out, and she was just like, get me. She said to Brian Murray, who was our it was our kind of contact in there. He was the tech. And she said, "Get me another band. I can't handle these guys. They they just stop when I make a mistake." Wow. And I, and she was she was quite humble about it. She said, "I make a lot of mistakes, so they need to they need to improvise around me, not me improvising around them. That's not the way it should be." And it really surprised me actually because I I thought these guys must know how that works, but they're so drilled in the way of Beck, yeah. who is a consummate musician who can talk them through things. And if he's changed something, then it's all very, very. Uh, it's drilled. That that's the word. It's that's that's the way it's going to be played. And that's somebody makes a mistake. You just, you just, you just don't stop. You know. Yeah. I know. The, the only I- pro- I, see, I, I had a, we were <laughs> we were playing um, the Billy Corgan song on a the David Letterman show, and we were told, you need to cut this because we're going straight to the, 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 afterwards. What happens is you play the song, David Letterman comes on, shakes everybody's hand, and then you get the end credits. But she was about to launch into the the third verse of the song, which would have meant that the song would have gone into the credits, which would have meant that David Letterman couldn't come on and do the handshake. So I gave her a big cue, this big strum, and she remember to come in with the chorus and she was like oh thank you brian <laughs> it's like and it was like it, it, and the rest of the band were like oh well and because she was just going to go into the and, and why not because she's she's been used to doing that but yeah. i'd said this different this time so i did that chord that she recognized as going at the chorus and so that's what she can do so that's what our purpose was there you know, but that was that was a nervy thing as well. They we, we always make sure that you know that there are a hundred million people watching that show. You're like, that really? Thanks for calming my nerves down there. Thanks for telling me that.
0: Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that definitely sounds like a different experience, doesn't it? But it probably even more leaning itself to playing for the song and playing to the singer. If you've absolutely you've that amount of time with someone that. You know' it's just their style they're, they're not as you say a music background perhaps and they don't understand the band setup so <laughs> it's well, your I, I,
1: I, the credentials. Yeah. well well i mean the, th- the thing is but but then again when we were <laughs> playing Nashville and she wanted to do a john prime song and I played this damn thing all afternoon and then we got on stage and I forgot it and I remembered it was in D, but the whole thing just went out of my mind. We'd, and that was probably three quarters of the way through the tour. I was <laughs> like, I can't, I've got so much in my head, I can't remember this. Yeah. That, that, yeah. This song. So, and she was just as great because she went, I, I, I played, I knew that it started in D and she sang it a cappella. I mean, the, the keyboard player was drawing me daggers. I mean, Big Andy was like, oh, what are you playing it?" I couldn't remember it. I just, I just went, Blank.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: And what happened was she sang at a cappella, and then everything fell into place, and I remembered it. Yeah. And, and and that was it. So she led us back in. So that was that was brilliant because we went to uh, we we're, were going to Toronto after that. So we went to Toronto, and I met her at the, the airport. Uh, that was sorry at the hotel lobby in Toronto, and I said, Look, I totally apologise for that yesterday. I had no idea. And she said, Oh, don't worry, Brian. It happens to me all the time. <laughs>
0: I, I was going to jump back to the start now. If I sorry, so what what kind of made you pick up the guitar in the first place? Well, where did it come from?
1: Well, my my mum used to work with, it, with this woman um, who Margaret Tolson. She was completely blind and. I mean, I, I, I had been interested in music since I was about seven because I, I remember sitting, my first memory of something pricking up my ears was Ichiku Park with the small faces and thinking, oh, what's that all about? That's that's doing something to me. And I'm, I'm seven, 1967, I'm seven years old. I don't know why I'm reacting to this thing. I don't really know, blah, blah. So, the, but what happened was, Margaret, who was who eventually became great friends with my mum. Margaret was blind and she she basically my mum helped her around the office and stuff like that. And she had a dog and all that sort of thing. But her husband, my uncle Jim, um was they, they lived in Greenock and we went down to visit them one time and Jim was a multi-instrumentalist, jazz musician. Okay. And he had a studio up in his loft. And he said, "Do you want to come up and have a look at this place?" And I was—I was like a kid in a sweet shop. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And what he did was he gave me this banging old acoustic guitar, and he said, "If you can play, he said, do you want to play guitar?" and I was like, "I'd love to." And he, he gave me the guitar, and I mean, it was a pretty horrible guitar. But he said, "If you can play that, you play. You will play." because I had a bit of a fight in my hands. It wasn't, it was gut string. It was like an old Spanish guitar and um, the action on it was about three inches. It was ridiculous, it was an absolute banger. But he he just said, I I wouldn't give you a good guitar just now because you'll struggle with that. But I fell in love with the damn thing, you know? And I played, I remember my first chord was D seventh, right? And my old man, my old man was like to me, but I must have played D seven for about three weeks, and he said, "Is there any way, Brian, you could learn another chord?" And I was like, "Okay, right." So, and and from there on, I just taught myself how to play. I went for lessons from a guy called Robert Maitland, who's actually one of my Facebook friends. Um, and I thought, I, you know, I I kind of get known okay myself, and he he was he was teaching stuff. I didn't really, I'm no, no, I, I'm into Alice Cooper and, you know, I want to make that, that noise. You know, I, I don't know how, how these guys do that. But the only, the way I learned was by listening closely to records. That's how I did it. Yeah. And, and, and that, that became a bit of a discipline in itself. You know, that's, that, that's, that taught me how to learn set lists and stuff like that as well so it's it's, it's just day. but I just I fell in love with the thing I just even when I've got it in my hand you know small paper cut notwithstanding I love I love the feeling of a guitar you know I, I and I love the way they look and of course I had the big poster with Jimmy Page with his double neck and stuff like that on my wall when I was a teenager and and I, that's kind of it's it, there's, there's, it's not an original story, but it just that's the way it happened for me. And you know, my, my folks are f- fairly encouraging. Um, when I say fairly encouraging, I obviously I, I didn't come from a particularly musical family. But my grandmother, my my father's mother, was a brilliant piano player. She was she's a great pianist. My um, uncle Alec played with Jimmy Shand. He was a we up north played the accordion. Horrible instrument, but um, but there, there was music in the family. My mum and dad w- were not particularly musical or particularly interested in music, they liked it, but it wasn't. And my drop, my, my brother is a he was a brilliant drummer, he was in our first band, um, and he still plays, he plays guitar, um, just for fun these days. And he's yeah. really, really good, sickeningly good, actually. <laughs> His fingers are mixing their seal. <laughs>
0: I think we've said earlier, you know, it's a great time to be alive for guitarists in terms of technology and all that. But equally, I think, you know, people learning, kids learning now, you know, you've got all the, you know, the tablature and you've got YouTube. You can slow it down to half the speed. You can watch exactly where the fingers go. But I do think they're they're missing that bit of ear training, you know, from just constantly putting a record or even a tape, rewind, play. How's he doing that? And you're yeah. picking up things you don't realize, all oh, the pitch, and and you're also hearing all the other instruments. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, I don't know what to think of, if it's better now to learn digitally or not. But
1: well, I, I think you're right because I think that we, I think that we, I, I learned, and, and a lot of my contemporaries learned by listening to records. And, and, and listening to records was a, was a, a, a a Communal event, you know, we've you've got the new Pistols record or whatever, blah blah blah, and we'd all go to somebody's house and listen to this on a dance set or whatever, or a stereo or whatever. Yeah, um, and and everybody would learn at the same time. That's how you put bands together because everybody'd be learning at the same pace. Whereas now, sadly, I think you know, music has become a fairly solitary. Uh, experience for people. You know, they, they, you go on a train, everybody's got, you I know, mean, I'm guilty of myself. You stick your headphones in, you listen to stuff on iTunes or whatever. Um, whereas the communal sort of listening experience is a thing of the past. Mm. I, I, Kids don't really seem to, I mean, I know my son, who who's a multi-instrumentalist. I mean, he, he makes this kind of, makes these post-rock epics and they're really... Technically he loses me. You know, he's a he's a drummer, he's a very good kind of metal drummer. Mm. Um plays the bass, he plays guitar. I think he plays a bit of keyboards as well. He's now getting into a bit of vocals. So he's he's completely self-contained. But um he, he totally loses me in the in the technical aspect of it's like kind of what they call it, math rock. Uh, yeah. Oh man, it's like <laughs> No, sorry, I'm, 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 I'm on the planet for a finite time, you know, <laughs> and I've got much more behind me than I've got in front of me. So quite frankly, shove it where the sun don't shine. And it sounds brilliant. It sounds really good, but I have no idea what he's doing. Which is great because that's his his thing. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. But it's it's again a totally different way of learning stuff, you know, and a very solitary thing, mm. you know. They they do they play games. P B does online gaming and stuff like that, and it's like, I mean, but saying that he's thirty two, he's not a, he's not a young dude anymore. But um, well, he is comparatively speaking. But it's just that that thing where you know it's a different kind of approach, yeah. and you know it's like crack on. I, I, and it's like I actually work in the academy of music and sound, lecture and stuff. I had to leave that job because I don't, I don't really understand the concept of getting famous. I don't why, you know, there is a, an element of that. But that was a good place to, to 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 play to to teach and stuff. But I just felt as if I had, I had, I had less and less to teach, mm. in terms of. There are no such things as record companies anymore. I come from a time where we went for record deals, we worked for record companies, we went into big studios. People can do what we did on laptops now. You know, and and I, I do a lot of stuff on my laptop as well. I, I love Logic, but I make purely electronic music, drony kind of ambient sort of thing, which I really enjoy. I enjoy listening to records like that as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. I know it seems we've kind of touched on that quite a lot, haven't we? Like the, the kind of digital and analogue side and the solitary and in a band. And and it, it, I guess there's pros and cons to each because, you know, it, now that record companies don't exist, well, you can go and make your own record and you don't have to do it, you know, under the same pressures. You're not, you know, forced into decisions you don't want to do, but equally... You're maybe lacking the sort of promotion side of the you know that kind of power of a record company to push your records, but
1: yeah, but I, I, I think maybe now I mean, I've when I, I sometimes get a taxi somewhere, you know, and they get ultimately these guys have got like capital radio, and I have no understanding of that side of things whatsoever, I don't know what that is. It's just sounds, it's all that kind of, you know, um, the vocal is so processed. Mm. Everything, you know, it's it's the kind of, they use a, 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 like, auto-tune as an instrument. Yeah. And it's like, what? I don't really get this. I I don't know what's so, and everything sounds exactly the same to me. It's so clean and um, formulaic that they're, they're, you know, if, if somebody, uh, like an artist like Iggy Pope was to come out now, forget it. You're not getting anywhere near it. You know, it's, it, it all has the same blingy kind of sheen. Um, I don't know. I, I just, no, nah, uh, there's no rock and roll. There's just none. It's not represented anymore. It's old-fashioned, you know, fair dues, whatever, you know, but I just think that yet there are some brilliant things coming out, you know, the Hamish Hawk and these people, absolutely phenomenal. But I don't know what the future is for that.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I guess another good thing with music is it does come in, it's a bit like fashion, isn't it? It comes in cycles, so for now reaching this peak of all that sort of you said process stuff and that, you'd hope at one point it will turn around again and that'll become right. uncool and with this other whole upcoming sort of, punky rocky scene maybe you know that's yeah just it was but
1: I, I, I think the problem is for now i mean maybe i've been watching far too many uh, episodes of black mirror but it just it, because of the kind of social media thing the way that's all kind of taken over it seems to be like music's been sidelined as a as a, a vehicle to sell stuff you know mm. it's a, it's another it's been commodified to not that it, it wasn't companies had to do that but it's to such an extent now that it's merely a, it's like something to sell something else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. With Spotify and all that sort of stuff, it's like when you getting point zero three seven of a pence. Yeah. Playing stuff. What's the point? You know, it's like okay, Jesus. Yeah,
0: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I think we've have probably touched on this as we've went along, but I was going to ask you. So when you when you were learning, what what was your influences? Would you say what were you trying to learn? as you were picking up the guitar?
1: Um, well, what, what I did, I knew that I was going to, had a long way to go before I was going to make, you know, be making the sounds that the guys in the Alice Cooper's band were making. Um, Obviously, that, that wasn't a banging old acoustic guitar that, you know, Glenn Buxton was playing, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, but um, I trying to think what I was, I, I heard Led Zeppelin two when I was 12, and I just thought, that's mind blowing. I have never heard anything like that in my life. You know, it was so mysterious and heavy. And, and and I just thought, yeah, that's it. But what what that took me was rather than just like, you know, going more on that path, I wanted to find out where that music came from. Mm-hmm. And of course, I came, came across Howling Wolf and, you know, obviously just, just like Killing Floor. That's lifted from Howling Wolf. That's, that is Howling Wolf speeded up slightly. but So I got very, very involved in blues. And the guys I was at school with, uh, a few of them were massive Stones fans, so we were all really into the Stones. We kind of split off around about when we were 16 because the punk thing started to happen. Some guys just stayed in the kind of Leonard Scannard land. I went off to the kind of... I was sort both camps in a lot of ways, but I had seen the New York Dolls on... Um incidentally, not people call them a punk band. They weren't a punk band. Mm. Um on the whistle test and Bob Harris saying mock rock. <laughs> and I went to school <laughs> the following you know, day. I was like, that. I've seen the future of rock and roll, it's the New York dolls. We were like, no way, man, they looked like blah blah blah, less of stuff. And I was like, No, I love it. I, I, that's my thing. And I, it became quite factional at school, you know. So if you were one of them, you were one of them, and, you you know, you were still, or you were an old hippie, you're still into your Zeppelin. Not that I wasn't into, I was still into Led Zeppelin, but the the kind of Leonard Skinner thing kind of left me cold a wee bit. Mm. Uh, I was like, it sounded like a pub band to me, you know, I mean, I I heard guys at the dial-in that sounded like that, you know, (laughs) so that didn't make me very popular. But I started hearing things like, uh, you know, Lou Reed, then Back to the Velvet Underground, and I loved all that stuff. I loved the whole kind of New York thing. I loved David Bowie. Um, not everything he did, but I loved like the Sound and Vision. When that came out, I was like, I've got to get that album low. Which, when I first got it, I thought, that's terrible. <laughs> but Then it became my favourite album after about three weeks. I did make the mistake of using my paper money to buy a uh, Trout Mask Replica by Captain Beefheart. And... To this day, it is still impregnable. Although I, I love Captain Beefheart. Never a big Zappa fan, always loved Captain Beefheart because, again, there was a blues influence going on there.
0: Right, yeah, um, yeah.
1: I just don't, for example, it was very, very clever, but it was a bit too smart-ass for me. But, uh, so it was, it was that kind of New York and then the punk thing, I was never a full dye in the wool punk, you know. I just was like charity shop clothes. And I still wear the same stuff as I did when I was in my 20s. You know, it's not, not exactly the same clothes, versions. You'll <laughs> <laughs> be glad to know. Smell <laughs> a vision. But no, it, so basically, that was, I came from the kind of, and I love bands like television, um, the kind of post punk bands. Uh, and that became my kind of uh, yeah, that 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 was the influence on me was it, was the kind of Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers from the New York Dolls, um, always the kind of rock and roll side of things. I mean, about as heavy as I go was maybe uh, Aerosmith, because I, I thought they were, they looked like a kind of New York Dolls kind of thing. Ah, <sighs> okay, um, yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they looked like rock stars. You know, and that's what I loved about it. It was like, I, I wanted my rock stars to look like freaks. I love my favourite of all time, it would be Iggy Pop. I just, I love Iggy, I love the Stooges, I love the sound of that, I love the whole spirit of it. But then, obviously, the post-punk thing, you know, my favourite band, probably, and still to this day, one of my favourite bands is The Fall. Ah. Um, uh, completely unlistenable, and to many people, I love them. I had them on earlier on, I just love them, and I don't know why. Because the, the best band I've ever seen live was The Fall, and the worst band I've ever seen live is The Fall. <laughs> <You> no, <know? laughs> it's just <laughs> incredible, and The Cramps, phenomenal. Wow, I mean, good.
0: I'd never have guessed that. It's funny how what you're influenced by and how it transpires into what you play? Because, you know, I'm thinking of your silky smooth lines on Shipwrecked and all yeah, like. on slacks and really plush, big reverb sounds. It doesn't reflect all that kind of chaos, does it? But is it a oh, bit no, no. somewhere, isn't it?
1: I think it's uh, my 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 taste is, is very, very... I, I'll listen to something that has a quality about it. I mean, I'll go back to, to you know, the Neville Brothers. I like a lot of really amazing soul music. I love Roberta Flack. I love all the... I'm a real music fan. I, I, I died in the world music fan. Esther Phillips. All these kind of soul acts. I love the voices on there. I love the playing. I love the, the, the Booker T and the MGs, um, the meters, things like that. A lot of guys kind of try to push me into the kind of... I wish I could Gary Moore and all that. I, I have no thoughts on Gary Moore. I, he's not who I would go to. I listen to the blues. I don't need to listen to Gary Moore. Gary Moore, to me, is a great guitar player. It's not where my heart lies. You know, yeah. I, I, this is a thing that I I always, I run into trouble with this with quite a lot of players because I'm not interested in skill or technique that's my job to have the skill and technique that's not the be all and end all for me that's a vehicle to bring the soul and the emotion to it you should be that good if you're not that good then you won't be able to do that yeah you know
0: that
1: that for me is because you get a lot of guys who some of the some of the best technical musicians on the planet make some of the dullest music ever to my mind you know, it's like, okay, that's, that's clever. But is it, can you listen to it? But saying that, of course, I'm, I'm talking about listening to The Fall.
0: <laughs> I, th- I think I'm, I'm, what I've definitely picked up from you is I think you're definitely drawn to great songs with decent guitar rather than great guitar with half-decent songs. Do you know what I mean? It's a song the thing, isn't it, for you? So. That's
1: exactly it. That's absolutely it. Because... And and, you know, the the great privilege I have had in my life is to have worked and continue to work with great songwriters because I'm the the worst songwriter in the world. I cannot write a song. It's just rubbish. So I play to my my own strengths. And fortunately, I've always been in tow or been hired by people who have got that, that side of things sewn up big time. And they have great voices as well. Stephen Lindsay, singular voice. You will not... I challenge anybody to listen to a Big Dish record and not recognise that voice. Yeah. You know, Lou has a very, very distinct voice. James Grant, a very distinct voice. Very distinct songwriting style. Um, And it's a total honour for me to be involved in that. It's an honour that they see that I can bring something to what they're doing. But it's because... I'm not tramping all over the top of it
0: absolutely yeah yep
1: yeah you know, um I, I you know and, and it's it's flattering that, that people can say, well, you can rely on that guy not to overplay
0: Please. <laughs> to me that's a crime. yeah, it's about what you leave out, isn't it rather than what you put in <laughs> absolutely
1: well I mean the thing is it's that, that people you know hit me with. Um, guys that are really super fast and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, well, what do you want me to say? I think it's very skillful, but it's not particularly musical because the music, and it was Miles Davis said it, when you strike the note or blow the note, the music happens after it. What you make is a percussive sound and the sound that is subsequent to that percussive striking is where the music is. If you you strike the next note immediately after that, there's no, there's no, there's no room for any music to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That was Miles Davis's point. And I just thought, well, I'm taking that on board because that makes sense to me. Now, apart from anything else, I, it's, it's more to do with a feel to allow the music to, to, to sort of happen. So I keep my, 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 my uh, playing fluid by practicing for a couple of hours every day. But that's my job you know that that's that that's that's not a special thing that's what a musician should do rather than go that well you know i'm going to practice to to the point where i've got i've nailed this really fast passage Mm. to to impress whom do you know what i mean it can be in in short bursts that can be a really great thing if it fits the context
0: yeah absolutely yeah so you see, when you practice, what what does practice consist of? Because it can it be anything, or do you sit and you know go through scales, or do you, do you just you just play and see what comes out? It's just the it's just the point of playing is the practice itself? Is that a thing, or?
1: Um, well, it's it's to keep the fluidity. I mean, I, I've I've got my my mother has very kindly given me a thing called Raynaud's, <laughs> passed it down to me, which is like fairly bad circulation in the hands so there's a good chance what I've got to do is try and fight off um arthritis at this late stage yeah. so I take cod liver oil and stuff like that and I keep my but the, the, uh, before I do a gig I've got to be in the dressing room for an hour playing wow because if I, if I go on cold it's like being right at the start again I've got to kind of work my way back up to it to get the fluidity back
0: yeah,
1: okay and as I get older it's getting worse you know um it doesn't, I mean, the, the thing is, if, as time goes on, if if I do contract the the um, arthritis, I'll tailor my playing accordingly, you know, because he's yeah. you know, not doing Keith Richards any harm, you know what I mean? He's, he's His hands look, like, crippled with it, you know. But uh, I think the kind of practice that I do, basically what I try to do is stick on YouTube and try and learn something else so that I'm stretching into another kind of zone. I'm not just like, you know, going over scales in a kind of pedestrian fashion. What I'm trying to do is learn new stuff that's maybe a wee bit uncomfortable. And then, I mean, I, I was I was looking at, I was never a big fan, but Johnny Winters. So some of the stuff that Johnny Winters does, as I say, I wasn't always a big fan, but there's a great uh, little film I found of him playing with Dr. John. All right. And the two of are just trading licks basically and doing songs standards that they do. Great band as well, they've got. But it's Dr. John obviously playing the piano and Johnny Winter's sitting with his firebird, and, and some of the stuff he's doing is just beautiful. It's just really tasty, you know. And I tried to play with my fingers as well and all these things. So just yeah. trying different different ways of doing things, but but keeping it um musical. If you know what I
0: mean.
1: So, yeah, yeah. No, I'm policified I don't want to annoy my neighbours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so if I was to ask you, you could only have one or the other of these, what would you pick? So, humbuckers or single coils? Humbuckers. Tremolo or fixed bridge? Tremolo. Maple or rosewood neck?
1: Uh,
0: rosewood. Mm. Valve or transistor? Valve. Digital or analogue? Analogue. Excellent. So, so Brian, we've, we've talked about all your, uh, you know, success with The Big Dish and playing with Manu Cacci, Pinot Palladino, you know, Marianne Faithful, year-long tours, and now, you know, your success with the, the new album, Lola and Slacks, uh, Moon Moth. So, but, you know, the big question that everyone is really interested in is, uh, can you put a fruit pasta on your mouth without chewing it?
1: Not a chance. No chance. I've tried. I have actually tried that. It's just, it's not possible. Because it, it, it's like, I think me and my brother tried to do it. And he, he broke before me, I went, no, I, ca- I cannot do it. I can't do it, I've got to chew. In fact, I, I, I packed a Mentos last night, you know, the the fruit Mentos.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And, and, and it's li- it's literally, I can't wait to get my tune on that thing. It's just, you know, suck it for a wee while. No, I'm, my teeth are right
0: in there. <laughs> Brilliant. So Brian, thanks so much for giving me your time for, for 10 Strummers Tales. Really appreciate it, and uh, it's been an absolute blast. Best of luck with your future Lola and Slacks, whatever you do going forward shows on the next album, in fact, and any other projects you're involved with. Thanks very much.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Excellent.
0: Thanks for listening to Episode 2 with the highly entertaining Brian McPhee. Don't forget to go to your favourite podcast channel and subscribe to 10 Strummers Tales.